The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Before I introduce my guest, I want to remind you guys that you get a free bottle of boost if you go to Apple or Spotify and post a review. We love these podcasts. We want to continue bringing great guest in. So go ahead and go to either of those uh, sites and post a review of what you think of all our great content. And joining me today is Terry Cheney. She is a successful entertainment attorney. She went public about her struggle with bipolar disorder in the New York Times bestselling memoir, Manic. She now devotes her advocacy skills to the causes of mental health and is on the board of the International Bipolar Foundation and the Sachs Institute. Her writing and commentary have been featured in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and countless articles, including her own blog for Psychology Today, which has nearly one million views. An essay she wrote was recently adapted for the Amazon TV series Modern Love, starring Anne Hathaway as Terry. And her new book, Modern Madness, an owner's manual is about to be released and what an appropriate title. Welcome to the show, Terry. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I am curious what, so your first book is Manic. The next book is Modern Madness, an owner's manual. What led an entertainment attorney into the world of mental health and advocating for mental health disorders? Well, there's actually one in book in between those two that I'll throw in. It's called The Dark Side of Innocence about my childhood. Mm. But um, what led me to become an advocate was really not the courageous act it seems like or so many people think it was. Uh, it really was just a sense of desperation. I had been living with the secret of bipolar disorder all my life. I didn't tell anyone except my doctors. And it just became unbearable to be living with such a dark secret that really affected all of my relationships. So finally, uh, I was hospitalized for severe depression. And I started to write about what it felt like to be bipolar. And seven years later, I emerged with a book called Manic. And things just took off from there, really at breakneck speed. What was the sort of premise of Manic? Was it your story, what you had been through yeah. somebody with bipolar disorder? Give us a sense of- Exactly, of Manic is about my adventures with bipolar disorder as an entertainment attorney representing the likes of Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, the major motion picture studios, and what it was like to live that, what I thought of as a terrible secret, all the while I was mm -hmm. leading a very, outwardly successful life. How did your bipolar present? I can't imagine having bipolar and then dealing with those people, you know, who themselves have a lot of like ups and downs. So how did your bipolar manifest? What was it like? Well, I would um, struggle the most with depression. And I think people are more familiar with that, certainly during COVID-19. Um, where I just felt hopeless, I couldn't move, I couldn't imagine a future living like this. But that would then cycle into mania, which is a state where you're very productive and very uh, charismatic, energetic. And fortunately or unfortunately, Hollywood, I think, is inherently manic. And uh, that level of functioning really was rewarded. 
in a strange way. So I could get away with a lot more than I think most people could. Interesting. So you kind of put on this front for a while. You finally come forth and uh, write this book in a sort of like a probably cathartic for you. Where do you stand today with your mental health and managing bipolar? And then what's led to some of these other books? Kind of what was that journey? I am in such a better place than I've ever been. I'm really happy to be um, talking about bipolar disorder and acting as a mental health advocate. Um, Modern Madness, an owner's manual, came about because I was trying to figure out how to put a vacuum cleaner together, of all things. And there were all these strange and weird attachments. And I'm leafing through the owner's manual. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a manual about bipolar disorder and mental illness, because it's very frightening and strange to people. And I wanted to just break it down into really understandable concepts like troubleshooting, warranties, things like that. And I think writing about my own personal experience has really made a tremendous difference in my life. It's freed me up to live a life without secrets. I think that's incredible. And, you know, just sitting from where I sit, I think that mental health illness is an epidemic prior to COVID. We were talking about the mental health crisis here in the United States, and I would say even around the world. Why do you think mental health disorders are on the rise? Are they really on the rise? Or are we just talking about them more? What do you think is happening there? I think at the moment, we are simply more aware of them because there was an epidemic of suicide before COVID-19 hit. Mm. Now there is a mental health pandemic, um, mental illness pandemic. Um, I think we just are finally getting past the stigma and into the actual facts of mental illness. And it's been a, it's been a long time coming, but I, I think that's hopeful. What do you think is the biggest misunderstanding that people have about mental illness? I think that I don't know. I feel like people have a visual in their head of what mental illness is. And it's like the straight jacket and like you have a couple of like, you know, handcuffs or like those ropes around you or something along those lines. And I, I don't know where we all get that. I don't know if we got that from books we read growing up or, you know, or stories we were told. But, you know, what is the biggest misconception in your opinion about mental illness? And then I would take that question a step further. You know, how do you know you have a mental illness? Like, how would you define illness in this context. I know I'm a physician and I know I have my clinical diagnosis, but for the average person, you know, sitting at home and wondering, like, you know, maybe walk them through some things that they can start to recognize that, that are signs. Okay. I think probably the biggest misconception in my opinion about mental illness is that people don't realize how widespread and common it is. Um, one in five Americans are on some kind of psychiatric medication. Uh, depression is the leading cause of disability in the world. And I think the way that you really need to look at it as it's like there should be reading, math, and mental health, in my opinion, in schools. You really need to educate yourself about what mental illness looks like and what we can do about it. And that's what I'm hoping modern madness will do because the symptoms for bipolar disorder, for example, don't really manifest all at once. It happens over a period of time. So you need to have 
loved ones in on the hunt for the diagnosis. It's very important. Um, you don't always know how you're coming off yourself. Like when I'm manic, I don't always realize I'm manic. I need someone to tell me you're talking right. way too fast. Huh. And then, you know, dealing with some of the clients that you've dealt with over the years, could you see mental illness in them? Were you able to recognize some of the signs and symptoms there? Like, you know, and again, just trying to paint that picture for, for somebody sitting at home who's like, I don't have a mental illness. I'm fine. I don't need this. Or I don't, I mean, there's a, there's a defense that comes up when you suggest sure. that somebody has an issue that might need to be worked on, but what are some of the soft signs that, that you've noticed maybe in dealing with others, maybe with yourself, maybe within your family that are non-doctor ways of recognizing some of this? Well, I have, I think I write in Modern Madness that I have the ability to spot depression from across a crowded room because mm -hmm. it shows up a lot in the face. It looks like gravity is really weighing a person down more than someone else. You know, the, the, the inability to smile, the things that we take so for granted, just the, the uh, ability to get out of bed, take a shower, you know, it's the small things where mental illness manifests. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. They're thinking of it, as you were saying, like homeless people on the street. But believe me, in Hollywood, I saw, I recognized a lot of symptoms, but then I was very aware of them because of my own illness. So in Modern Madness, you try to take a really practical approach to dealing with mental illness. Give us an example of what you do here that you didn't talk about in Manic and what are some of those things that people can do that are very tactical and tangible and, and not requiring a lot of time and effort and money and all, all those things. I've got a great trick that I've taught all my loved ones and I would love for the world to understand what you need to do when someone is suffering from depression, for example, or another mental illness that's, that's manifesting is just say five little words. Tell me where it hurts. Tell me where it hurts is an amazing phrase because it isn't advice. It isn't, well, you should go take a shower, which may be impossible for the depressed person to do, or you should um, exercise more which I always hate hearing, or eat more blueberries, clear your chakras. I mean, you'll, yeah. get, you'll get endless advice. And yeah. advice just, you don't want to be fixed. You want to be heard. And wow. Okay, hang on. Before you move on, I think that Thank you. is gold right there. So I think for those of us, for anyone that lives with somebody with a mental illness, right? Like I grew up, you know, with a mom that had some mental issues and things like that. So it's recognizable to me as well. Um, you know, they don't want to be fixed. They don't want to be told what to do. And it's very hard to come in, especially now with, a, with, you know, medical backgrounds, like, we'll take this, we'll do this. We'll, you know, you know, there's that frustration, like why, you know, like just, just do this. Like it's, it's right here, you know, but I think I've learned with maturity and with time that they don't want someone to come in and fix everything. Right. You want to be heard. Right. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just think that's so important for anybody who is struggling with mental illness is that you're, you're dying to be heard. And then for those who are caring for the mentally ill, like realizing that we are not necessarily in the role of fixing stuff. We just need to listen and to hear them. And sometimes that's the hardest thing 
of all. It can be very, very hard because a depressed person quite often will not say things you want to hear. They see the world in a very dark way and through a dark lens. And it can be really difficult to just sit there and be patient and listen. But you'll watch as they open up, I guarantee it. It is a completely different experience from being fixed and shut down at the same time. So I highly recommend that. So how, you know, so tell me where you hurt, but what if there's defensiveness with that? What do you do next? Where do you go after that? Like so many people will just put that wall up. I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, everything's okay. So what are some other practical tips that we as caregivers, or if you're suffering from anxiety, depression, bipolar, any of these that we can put into place? I think it's very important to be educated about the particular illness because once you are familiar with the vocabulary of the illness and the symptoms and the triggers, you are, you're entering that person's world in a very different way, in a very healing way. Um, education is, there, are so, there is so much written about mental health, believe me, it's out there. And there's a lot of good things written. Um, I just highly recommend that people learn it the way they would learn a foreign language. If you had, if you were marrying a Spanish wife, you would learn some words uh, of Spanish, for example. So it's the same principle. I love that. And you talk about warranties and uh, expirations. What is all of that when it comes to mental illness? Because I know you've treated mo- modern madness as like a how-to book. Like these are the things you need to understand to take care of yourself. And I think again, your timing of this book is impeccable, right? Like I'm sure you didn't design it that way, but um, but with this pandemic, I think that mental illness is on the rise. The suicide rate is on the rise. We know that people everywhere are suffering from anxiety and depression and isolation and people that had a mental illness to begin with, it is only compounding it so much more. And I listen to those stories every day in the exam room. And what's happening now is that instead of the occasional patient that's dealing with something that is revealed, it is every patient struggling as we go through these times. So, so again, you know, I think that the more we can recognize this, it's so important. And the more that we can help one another, I think it's really critical. But other practical tips, warranties, expirations, what in the world does that have to do with mental illness? I think it was important for me to combine my own personal story so that people, uh, you know, can relate to the illness with medical research so that there was credibility there. And breaking it down into issues like troubleshooting. What do you do in a relationship? I have, I list ways of talking to a mentally ill person um, or warranties. I, I guarantee you will feel hope and acceptance if you follow these steps or I, I can't guarantee, but I believe that you will. And I can imagine that you're hearing every day about mental issues. Um, but I think that gives us some hope for the future because there's going to be so much more awareness and compassion about mental health than there ever was, uh, after COVID-19. That's my, my true belief. I hope so. And I hope that we, you know, take a hard look at how we treat and diagnose and care for the mentally ill for sure. 
you write something that I think is interesting in the introduction of the book, that the book is intended not only for those who have a diagnosis, but also for the people who you, uh, who you love and sometimes want to strangle them. You've included several chapters on navigating relationships. What's your advice for friends and spouses and family members dealing with somebody who is, you know, mentally ill? It can be incredibly draining, right? It can be very hard to you navigate. Really, their- I use the airplane scenario a lot. You really have to grab the um, thing that comes down from the ceiling and put it on your face, the mask first. Mm-hmm. And put it yeah. on your face so that you can breathe. The oxygen mask, right? The oxygen mask. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. You're of no help to anyone else if you get uh, compassion fatigue or burnout from taking care of someone who's mentally ill. Um, so it's very important. I recommend people go, for example, to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's NAMI.org. Um, they have training sessions and groups for friends and family members um, of loved ones with mental illness. But you can play such an important role in someone else's recovery just by knowing, as I've said before, just by knowing what it looks like and, and what it feels like from inside. And that's what I'm hoping to give to people through Modern Madness. I think that's incredible. Now let's, turn to modern times as we talk about modern madness we've seen a lot of madness whatever you want to call it in this pandemic we were not just fighting a virus but there's also been an explosion of racial tension and race wars political tension so much more but there are very real statistics on mental health in the african-american and black community talk to us about that for just a second of what's happening there and what access to healthcare is like for them, what access to mental health resources is like as well. That was shocking to me when I did my research for Modern Madness. The, the statistics about people of color are stunning. They're, for example, in the last 15 years, the suicide rate for young black women has gone up 182%. Gosh, why? Well, one of the problems that people of color encounter with mental health is that there isn't a lot of what we call cultural competence, meaning caregivers who really do understand their cultural backgrounds and the, you know, the differences that there are in the way a community, one community or another, looks at mental illness. And that mm-hmm. can really uh, just eliminate successful treatment. So it's it's a huge problem and we're not anywhere near where we need to be when it comes to helping people of color. So are young black women, like, are they feeling like they don't have the resources or the support? Are they isolated? Is it sort of, what, what are their risk factors for I, suicide? That's a very good question. And I, I tried to look deeper into that statistic because I thought it must be a typo, but um, I think I can just go by my own experience here. When I was in the mental hospital for depression, um, there was a young black woman and she told me in her community, she was told to try to pray it away, for example, or she was also told that, well, we survived slavery, so this isn't, you know, you can get through anything. And I think, you know, 
that sounds harsh, but there are realities about different communities that we just don't know yet. Yeah. And we need to know why that statistic is there. That really is concerning and troublesome because I also know that they have limited access to medical care, leave alone mental health in particular. And I don't know how much, how much of a relationship is truly established with a care, like a provider or a physician in those communities. Is there something at the public health level? So when the race war started, I, my stand on a lot of it is that it's a public health crisis because when you think about racial tension, it really begins far earlier than, than going to school and not being invited to the table to eat lunch. It really begins in the home and to have an adequate, you know, sort of campaign against racism, you really have to start really young and really early and teach inclusion and diversity and respect for human beings and all this other stuff. You can't legislate that. You can't turn that into a policy, but what can we do when it comes to the policies we set aside for mental health, for helping people of color, you know, for navigating this terrain of, uh, you know, uncertain times and uncertainty in general, lack of leadership, all these things. How do we, how do we create policy that protects the people? That's a great question. And I think right now, my biggest concern is parity, uh, which means equality of treatment for physical and mental health when it comes to insurance or you know provision of care. California just passed a law that is strengthening its parity rules, supposedly uh, you're supposed to have equal treatment, but that really hasn't been enforced. So parity laws are going to be something we really need to look at more. But also, I think in this movement to defund police, I think there's something rather exciting about the idea of actually trained personnel dealing with the homeless or people with mental illness. Um, I think something good is going to come out of that when we take it to a different place of compassion rather than just a cycle of, of brutality and imprisonment and being released onto the street only to be imprisoned again. It's got to change. Yeah. It's like the cycle doesn't break itself, but what is, for those who don't know, what are the parody laws in California? What, what is that? What is that? uh, Patrick Kennedy passed or legislated the Parity Act of 2008, which is federal. So it means that everybody should have equal health insurance for mental and physical conditions. And now uh, a bill just passed in California that will give more teeth to that, will include substance abuse, for example, um, which isn't always included in in insurance coverage. So states are, are slowly coming around and passing more legislation, but they're really California is in the forefront of it. That's, uh, that's hopeful. Are there any other states that are following suit or not necessarily? I don't know if any other states are following the California model, but uh, this just happened, I think, today or yesterday. So I'm definitely going to follow up on that because I'm fascinated by the issue. I know I, even as a middle class white woman, I've found it extremely hard to find um, adequate compensation for my treatment. Hmm. What do you, so tell us, 
what's happening there? Have you done, I don't know if the book talks much about, you know, the, the reimbursement of mental health expenses and the coverage of mental health uh, services and things like that. What, what does that landscape look like nowadays? No, I don't. I'm not really an expert on insurance reimbursement. I don't think there are many experts on insurance reimbursement. No, but um, none of us know what's going on at this point with insurance companies. But no, um, I think that telehealth is an interesting movement and something generated by COVID nineteen that's going to be very, very useful for mental health access and care because you think of all the rural communities where there's one psychiatrist per you know how many people for uh i've noticed it's not quite the same as being there with your physician or your psychiatrist but it's a great stopgap and for people who can't afford to take off from their work for example they can tell a commute right get mental health care yeah, as a when doctor. Think, uh, when you think about mental health care that works, what would that look like? Is that is that more counseling? Is that medication management? Like what would an appropriate, well thought out mental health, you know, just based on the experience that you've had and what you've researched being on the different boards and stuff like that, what's a good mental health kind of care plan for the average person? Well, I think what researchers have found is that if you combine talk therapy with medication, you're going to get the best results. And I have a particular uh, strong feeling about the need for actual psychiatrists to prescribe mental health medications, because I think it is such a, it's an art form. It really is something more intensive and um, more, complicated than many primary care physicians are able to deal with. And so many people, like I said before, one out of five Americans are on mental health medications. They get them from their primary care doctor who doesn't necessarily follow through, or the person doesn't feel that they can call them when they need their medication tweaked. Whereas with a psychiatrist, you know, that's what they do. They, they manage mental health medication. So I think it's very important to try to get that specialty involved if you can. Yeah, and I would just argue, advocate too for having a complete team because again, as somebody who does a lot of integrative and uh, functional and holistic work, a lot of mental health that we see uh, is sometimes connected to genetics or to hormones or to nutrients or to gut dysfunction. And those like with anything, almost with any condition, those things need to be worked through so that any medication management you're doing, any talk therapy you're doing is only more effective because especially when it comes to women, I think, you know, we're such hormonal creatures that we can look completely different mentally from one week to the next. And those highs and lows have to be managed. And sometimes they need medications to manage them, but the medications only go so far if the other stuff's not handled as well. So I think having that really comprehensive holistic approach to looking at mental health is is sort of my wish where somebody would come in and they'd be able to be looked at from a 360 degree viewpoint and then this is what you need for the immediate this is what we got to work on and this is the direction to keep moving in and i think that's so important too from a policy standpoint i don't know how to make that happen but 
it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so exciting to hear somebody else say this because I've been advocating for this, for the team approach. Yeah. Ever since my father was diagnosed with lung cancer and developed um, all these different symptoms and mental symptoms and the medications need to be carefully coordinated too. You know, one medication can really mess you up with another medication. And um, I was lucky enough to have a psychiatrist who was willing to be the quarterback of my team. Unfortunately, he's retiring. But um, having that kind of team approach is so, you're so lucky if you can find it, if you can find the healthcare practitioners who are willing to um, and eager to cooperate with you. I think that word is really important, quarterback. We have so many people that come into our practice and they're like, I really need a quarterback. I've gone here and I've gone there and I've gone over there and I've gone over here. And I don't know, no one's like, nobody's talking to each other, you know? Right. So in a condition, like many of the conditions today, I, and you know, I used to say it was just certain conditions, but almost everything today needs that kind of 360 degree approach where it's all being pulled together. And medications have a role. So many people, and that's the other thing we should probably talk about too. I meet people all the time who have a lot of guilt the minute they're put on a medication. It's almost like an F on your report card, you know? <laughs> and I think that, you know, for overachievers, underachievers, everybody in between, going on a medication is not a failure. Going on a medication is something to bridge you for the time you need to work on yourself and understand everything else that's going on with you. So I think we need to take that stigma off of the fact, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's quality of life ultimately that matters. And if you can't participate, for me, I always tell people, if you can't participate in your life, if you are not enjoying a dinner out, time with your friends, time with your family, you're missing out on occasions, your mind is elsewhere, not where you need to be, then those are all soft signs that you need help. And so that help can look like different things. And talk therapy is often a starting point. But sometimes you have to move on from that too. You have to add other modalities, other things, look at kind of what your body chemistry is doing. And I will add one more, one more piece to this puzzle is the genetics, right? Of mental health. It's pretty strong. Right. Um, we've seen it play out time and time again. But those genetics, there's a chemistry to that, those genetics. And oftentimes that chemistry also needs to be managed. So sometimes people will have, for example, a gene that dictates that they're always low in vitamin D and it's been there for generations. But you'll hear the familial stories, right? Of this one did this and that one did that, but this patterns run through the generation. So I think that's an important piece of it too. And this, that sort of ties into this next question that I have for you is um, you talk about mental health illness in the book, Modern Madness. You talk about how it's on the rise and it's an alarming statistic and COVID has kind of, you know, uh, revealed how, how much of a mental health crisis we really have. And it's also really worsened it to a certain extent. What's our hope? I always like ending with a message of hope and positivity because my hope which I'm happy to share is that we really get the model right. We really start to understand all the nuances when it comes to caring for people and it's not quick in and out. They need a team. They need a relationship. They need a quarterback. They need an advocate. They need all these people at the table. That's my hope. Tell me what your hope is when it comes to mental health and mental illness. My hope is that what people have gone through in COVID-19 will really sensitize them to the importance of mental health. Because I think more people than ever before have realized it is absolutely essential 
to have a good functioning brain and mental health is physical health. And when we get that message across, I think we're going to see a reduction in stigma. I think we're going to see an improvement in healthcare. Hopefully the team approach that you and I both believe in. So I'm actually optimistic about the future. I think we've, we won't come out of these times unchanged and maybe that's a good thing. Well, what's next for you? Modern Madness hits soon. Uh, tell us what's next for you. And if people want to get involved and advocate, what's the best way for them to do yeah. so? Well, I think I'm going to write another book. About, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that seems to be the direction I'm heading, which I'm excited about, about probably about my recovery from um, serious substance abuse and mental illness combined. I don't think there's enough literature out there looking at the combination of two and they can watch modern love uh on amazon tv if they want to see my life story and watch anne hathaway do a terrific job that's amazing how exciting amazing wonderful well it's been wonderful to learn your story continue the great work i know there's more work ahead but I also am optimistic and hopeful about the future. And I think that the more attention we draw to this and understand what's happening and how it's happening, I think we're only going to help everyone kind of come out of this in the long run. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it so much. For everybody else, thank you for joining this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember, Terry's book is out on Amazon, I'm assuming, and everywhere that books are found. So check it out. It's Modern Madness, an owner's manual. And with the mental health numbers that, that exist today, it's a book that probably everybody could use. So definitely check that out. Remember to post a review on Spotify. You'll get a free bottle of booze. Just screenshot me your review at hello at drtaz.com. And I will see you guys next time.